Chapter Twelve of Sylvia's Lovers. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Amanda Martin Sandino. Sylvia's Lovers by Elizabeth Gaskell. Chapter Twelve. All this enlargement of interest in the shop occupied Philip fully for some months after the period referred to in the preceding chapter. Remembering his last conversation with his aunt, he might have been uneasy at his inability to perform his promise and look after his pretty cousin, but that about the middle of November Belle Robson had fallen ill of a rheumatic fever, and that her daughter had been entirely absorbed in nursing her. No thought of company or gaiety was in Sylvia's mind as long as her mother's illness lasted. Vehement in all her feelings, she discovered in the dread of losing her mother how passionately she was attached to her. Hitherto she had supposed, as children so often do, that her parents would live for ever, and now when it was a question of days, whether by that time the following week her mother might not be buried out of her sight for ever, she clung to every semblance of service to be rendered, or affection shown, as if she hoped to condense the love and care of years into the few days only that might remain. Mrs. Robson lingered on, began slowly to recover, and before Christmas was again sitting by the fireside in the house-place, wan and pulled down, muffled up with shawls and blankets but still there once more where not long before sylvia had scarcely expected to see her again philip came up that evening and found sylvia in wild spirits she thought that everything was done now that her mother had once again come downstairs she laughed with glee she kissed her mother she shook hands with philip she almost submitted to a speech of more than usual tenderness for him but in the midst of his words her mother's pillows wanted arranging and she went to her chair paying no more heed to his words than if they had been addressed to the cat that lying on the invalid's knee was purring out her welcome to the weak hand feebly stroking her back robson himself soon came in looking older and more subdued since philip had seen him last he was very urgent that his wife should have some spirits and water but on her refusal almost as if she loathed the thought of the smell he contented himself with sharing her tea though he kept abusing the beverages washing the heart out of a man and attributing all the degeneracy of the world growing up about him in his old age to the drinking of such slop at the same time his little self-sacrifice put him in an unusually good temper and mingled with his real gladness at having his wife once more on their way to recovery brought back some of the old charm of tenderness combined with light-heartedness which had won the sober isabella preston long ago he sat by her side holding her hand and talking of old times to the young couple opposite of his adventures and escapes and how he had won his wife she faintly smiling at the remembrance of those days yet half ashamed at having the little details of her courtship revealed from time to time kept saying for shame with thee Daniel, i never did and faint denials of a similar kind never believe her sylvie she were a woman and there's never a woman but likes to have a sweetheart and can tell when a chap's castin sheep's eyes at her ay and afore he knows what he's about to sin she were a pretty one then was my old woman and like them as thought her so though she did cock her head high as being a preston which were a family of standing and means in those parts aforetime there's philip there i'll warrant is as proud be in preston by to mother's side for it runs it to blood lass i can tell when a child of a preston takes to being proud of their kin by to cut of their nose now philip's and my missus's had a turn beyond common in their nostrils as if they was sniffling at the rest of the world and seeing if we was good enough for em to consort with thee and me lass is robson's old cake folk while they's pie crust lord how bell used to speak to me as short as though a wasn't a christian and at the time she loved me as her very life and well i knew it though i'd to mark as though i didn't philip when thou goest courtin come to me and i'll give thee many a wrinkle i've shown too as a known well how to choose a good wife by tokens and signs hannah da missus 
Come to me, my lad, and show me to lass, and I'll just talk a squint at her, and tell you if she'll do or not. And if she'll do, I'll teach you how to win her. They say another o' yon corny girls is going to be married, said Mrs. Robson, in her faint, deliberate tones. By gosh, and it's well thou spokest on them. I was as clean forgettin' it as ever could be. I met Nanny Corny among Savin last neet, and she axed me for to let our Sylvia come a New Year's Eve, and see Molly and her man. That, and as is wed beyond Newcastle, they'll be over at her feathers, for to New Year's Eve, and there's to be a merry-making. Sylvia's colour came, her eyes brightened. She would have liked to go, but the thought of her mother came across her, and her features fell. Her mother's eye caught the look, and the change, and knew what both meant as well as if Sylvia had spoken out. Thursday's to-night, said she. I'll be rare and strong by then, and Sylvia shall go play her son. She's been nurse tendin' long enough. You're but weakly yet, said Philip shortly. He did not intend to say it, but the words seemed to come out in spite of himself. I said as our last should come, God willin', if she only came and went and thee goin' on sprightly, old woman, and I'll turn nurse tender my sin for t'occasion, special if thou can stand to good on smell o' whisky by then. So, my lass, get up thy smart clothes and cut the best on em out, as becomes a Preston. Maybe I'll fetch thee home, and maybe Philip will convoy thee, for Nanny Corny bade thee to merry makin' as well. She said her meester would be seemed thee about to wool afore then. I don't think I can go, said Philip, secretly pleased to know that he had had the opportunity in his power. I'm half bound to go with Hester Rose and her mother to watch night. Is Hester a Methody? asked Sylvia in surprise. No, she's neither a Methody nor a friend nor a church person, but she's a turn for serious things, choose wherever they're found. Well, then, said good-natured Farmer Robson, only seeing the surface of things, I'll make shift to fetch Sylvia back fret to merry-making, and thee and thy young woman can go to prayer-making. It's every man to his taste, say I. But in spite of his half-promise, nay, against his natural inclination, Philip was lured to the cornies by the thought of meeting Sylvia, of watching her and exulting in her superiority in pretty looks and ways to all the other girls likely to be assembled. Besides, he told his conscience, he was pledged to his aunt to watch over Sylvia like a brother, so in the interval before New Year's Eve he silently revelled as much as any young girl in the anticipation of the happy coming time. At this hour, all the actors in the story having played out their parts and gone to their rest, there is something touching in recording the futile efforts made by Philip to win Sylvia the love he yearned for, but at the time any one who had watched him might have been amused to see the grave, awkward, plain young man studying patterns and colours for a new waistcoat, with his head a little on one side, after the meditative manner common to those who are choosing a new article of dress. They might have smiled, could they have read in his imagination the frequent rehearsal of the coming evening, when he and she should each be dressed in their gala attire, to spend a few hours under a bright, festive aspect among people whose company would oblige them to assume a new demeanour towards each other not so familiar as their everyday manner but allowing more scope for the expression of rustic gallantry philip had so seldom been to anything of the kind that even had sylvia not been going he would have felt a kind of shy excitement at the prospect of anything so unusual but indeed if sylvia had not been going it is very probable that philip's rigid conscience might have been aroused to the question whether such parties did not savour too much of the world for him to form one in them as it was however the facts to him were simply these he was going and she was going the day before he had hurried off to Hasterbank Farm with a small paper parcel in his pocket, a ribbon with a little briar-rose pattern running upon it for Sylvia. It was the first thing he had ever ventured to give her. The first thing of the kind would, perhaps, be more accurate, for when he had begun to teach her any lessons he had given her Maver's spelling-book, but that he might have done out of zeal for knowledge to any dunce of a little girl of his acquaintance. The ribbon was quite a different kind of present. He touched it tenderly, as if he were caressing it 
when he thought of her wearing it the briar rose sweetness and thorns seemed to be the very flower for her the soft green ground on which the pink and brown pattern ran was just the colour to show off her complexion and she would in a way belong to him her cousin her mentor her chaperon her lover while others only admired he might hope to appropriate for of late they had been such happy friends her mother approved of him her father liked him a few months perhaps only a few weeks more of self-restraint then he might go and speak openly of his wishes and what he had to offer for he had resolved with the quiet force of his character to wait until all was settled between him and his masters before he declared himself to either sylvia or her parents the interval was spent in patient silent endeavours to recommend himself to her he had to give his ribbon to his aunt in charge for sylvia and that was a disappointment to his fancy although he tried to reason himself into thinking that it was better so he had not time to wait for her to return from some errand on which she had gone for he was daily more and more occupied with the affairs of the shop sylvia made many a promise to her mother and more to herself that she would not stay late at the party but she might go as early as she liked and before the december daylight had faded away sylvia presented herself at the cornings she was to come early in order to help set out the supper which was arranged in the large old flagged parlour which served as a best bedroom as well it opened out of the house-place and was the sacred room of the house and chambers of a similar description are still considered in retired farmhouses in the north of england they are used on occasions like the one now described for purposes of hospitality but in the state bed overshadowing so large a portion of the floor the births and as far as may be the deaths of the household take place at the cornies the united efforts of some former generation of the family had produced patchwork curtains and coverlet and patchwork was patchwork in those days before the early yates and peels had found out the secret of printing the parsley leaf scraps of costly indian chintzes and palampores were intermixed with commoner black and red calico and minute hexagons and the variety of patterns served for the useful purpose of promoting conversations as well as the more obvious one of displaying the workwoman's taste sylvia for instance began at once to her old friend molly brunton who had accompanied her into this chamber to take off her hat and cloak with a remark of one of the chintzes stooping over the counterpane with a face into which the flush would come whether or no she said to molly dear i never seed this one afore this for all's world like the eyes in a peacock's tail thou's seen it many times and oft lass but weren't thou surprised to find charlie here we picked him up at shields quite by surprise like and when brunton and me said we was comin here naught would serve him but comin with us for to see to new year in it's a pity as your mother's tain this time for to fall ill and want you back so early sylvia had taken off her hat and cloak by this time and began to help molly and a younger unmarried sister in laying out the substantial supper here continued mrs brunton stick a bit of holly in yon pig's mouth that's the way we do things in newcastle but folks is so behindhand in monkshaven it's a fine thing to live in a large town sylvia and if you're looking out for a husband i'd advise you to take one as lives in a town i feel as if i were buried alive coming back here such an out of the way place after to side where there's many a hundred carts and carriages go past in a day i've a great mind for to take you two lassies back with me and let you see a bit of the world maybe i may yet her sister bessie looked much pleased with this plan but sylvia was rather inclined to take offence at molly's patronizing ways and replied i'm none so fond of noise and bustle why you'll not be able to hear yourself speak with all them carts and carriages i'd rather bide at home let alone that mother can't spare me it was perhaps a rather ungracious way of answering molly brunton's speech and so she felt it although her invitation had been none of the most courteously worded she irritated sylvia still further by repeating her last words mother can't spare me my mother'll have to spare thee some time and a time for weddin comes i'm none going to be wed said sylvia 
and if I were, I'd never go far from mother. Eh, what a spoiled darling it is! How Brunton will laugh when I tell him about you. Brunton's a rare one for laughing. It's a great thing to have got such a merry man for a husband. Why, he has his joke for every one as comes into to chop, and he'll have something funny to say to everything this evening. Bessy saw that Sylvia was annoyed, and with more delicacy than her sister, she tried to turn the conversation. That's a pretty ribbon in thy hair, Sylvia. I'd like to have one o' the same pattern. Feyther likes pickled walnuts stuck about to round beef, Molly. I know what I'm about, replied Mrs. Brunton, with a toss of her married head. Bessy resumed her inquiry. Is there any more to be had where this cough from, Sylvia? I don't know, replied Sylvia. It's cough for Foster's, and you can ask. What might it cost? said Betsy, fingering end of it to test its quality. I can't tell, said Sylvia. It were a present. Never mock do about the price, said Molly. I'll give thee enough one to, to tie up thy hair, just like Sylvia's. Only thou hastn't such wealth of curls as she has. It'll never look the same i thy straight locks. And who might it be as give it thee, Sylvia? asked the unscrupulous, if good-natured Molly. My cousin Philip, him as his shopman at Foster's, said Sylvia innocently. But it was far too good an opportunity for the exercise of Molly's kind of wit for her to pass over. Oh-ho! Our cousin Philip, is it? And he'll not be living so far away from your mother. I've no need to be a witch to put two and two together. He's a-coming here to-night, isn't he, Bessie? I wish you wouldn't talk so, Molly, said Sylvia. Me and Philip is good enough friends, but we never think on each other that way. Leastways I don't. Sweet butter, now that's my mother's old-fashioned ways, as if folks must eat sweet butter nowadays because her mother did. That way, continued Molly, in the manner that annoyed Sylvia so much, repeating her words as if for the purpose of laughing at them. That way? And pray, what is it to your speaking on? I never said not about marrying, did I? That you needs to look so red and shamefaced about your cousin Philip. But as Brunton says, if the cap fits on you, put it on. I'm glad he's coming over to-night, though. For as I'm done making love and courtin', it's next best to watch other folks. In your face, Sylvia, has ledden me into a secret, as I'd some glimpses on afore I was wed. Sylvia discreetly determined not to speak a word more to Philip than she could help, and wondered how she could ever have liked Molly at all, much less have made a companion of her. The table was now laid out, and nothing remained but to criticize the arrangement a little. Bessie was full of admiration. There, Molly, said she, you never seen more victual brought together in Newcastle, I'll be bound. There'll be half a hundred weight of butcher's meat, besides pies and custards. I've eaten no dinner these two days for thinking on it. It's been a weary burden on my mind, but it's off now I see how well it looks. I told mother not to come near it till we'd spread it all out, and now I'll go fetch her. Bessie ran off into the house-place. It's well enough in a country kind of way, said Molly, with a faint approbation of condescension. But if I'd thought on, I'd have brought him down a beast or two done a sponge-cake, with currants for his eyes to give to table an air. The door was opened, and Bessie came in smiling and blushing with proud pleasure. Her mother followed her on tiptoe, smoothing down her apron, and with her voice subdued to a whisper. "'Ah, my lass, it is fine, but do not make an ado about it. Let some think it's just our common way. If anyone says aught about how good to vittle is, take it calm, and say win better in de house. It'll make em eat wi' a better appetite, and think the more on us. Sylvie, I much beholden to ye for coming so early, and helping to lass, but you mun come in to house place now.' The folks is gathering, and your cousin's been asking after you already. Molly gave her a nudge which made Sylvia go all aflame with angry embarrassment. She was conscious that the watching which Molly had threatened her with began directly. For Molly went up to her husband and whispered something to him which set him off in a chuckling laugh, and Sylvia was aware that his eyes followed her about with knowing looks all the evening. 
she would hardly speak to philip and pretended not to see his outstretched hand but passed on to the chimney corner and tried to shelter herself behind the broad back of farmer corney who had no notion of relinquishing his customary place for all the young people who ever came to the house or for any old people either for that matter it was his household throne and there he sat with no more idea of abdicating in his favour of any comer than king george at st james's but he was glad to see his friends and had paid them the unwonted compliment of shaving on a weekday and putting on his sunday coat the united efforts of his wife and children had failed to persuade him to make any farther change in his attire to all their arguments on this head he had replied them as doesn't like to see me in my workaday waistcoat and breeches may bad way it was the longest sentence he had said that day but he repeated it several times over he was glad enough to see all the young people but they were not of his kidney as he expressed it to himself and he did not feel any call upon himself to entertain them he left that to his bustling wife all smartness and smiles and to his daughters and son-in-law his efforts at hospitality consisted in sitting still smoking his pipe when any one came he took it out of his mouth for an instant and nodded his head in a cheerful friendly way without a word of speech then returned to his smoking with the greater relish for the moment's intermission he thought to himself there are such a young chaps as thinks more on to lasses than on baccy they'll find out their mistake in time give em time give em time and before eight o'clock he went as quietly as a man of twelve stone can upstairs to bed having made a previous arrangement with his wife that she should bring him up about two pounds of spiced beef and a hot tumbler of stiff grog but at the beginning of the evening he formed a good screen for sylvia who was rather a favourite with the old man for twice he spoke to her feyther smokes yes said sylvia reach me tobacco-box me lass and that was all the conversation that passed between her and her nearest neighbour for the first quarter of an hour after she came into company but for all her screen she felt a pair of eyes were fixed upon her with a glow of admiration deepening their honest brightness somehow look in what direction she would she caught the glance of those eyes before she could see anything else so she played with her apron-strings and tried not to feel so conscious there were another pair of eyes not such beautiful sparkling eyes deep-set earnest sad nay even gloomy watching her every movement but of this she was not aware philip had not recovered from the rebuff she had given him by refusing his offered hand and was standing still in angry silence when mrs corney thrust a young woman just arrived upon his attention come mr hepburn here's nancy pratt without even a soul to speak to her and you mopin there she says she knows you'll forsight for having dealt at foster's these six year see if you can find somewhat to say to each other for i'm go pour out tea dixons and walkers and elliots and smiths is come said she making off the families with her fingers as she looked round and called over their names and there's only will lantham and his two sisters and roger harbottle and taylor to come and they'll turn up before tea's ended so she went off to her duty at the one table which placed alongside of the dresser was the only article of furniture left in the middle of the room all the seats being arranged as close to the four walls as could be managed the candles of those days gave but a faint light compared to the light of the immense fire which it was a point of hospitality to keep at the highest roaring blazing pitch these young women occupied their seats with the exception of two or three of the elder ones who in an eager desire to show their capability insisted on helping mrs corney in her duties very much to her annoyance as there were certain little contrivances for eking out cream and adjusting the strength of the cups of tea to the worldly position of the intended drinkers which she did not like every one to see the young men whom tea did not embolden and who had as yet had no chance of stronger liquor clustered in rustic shyness round the door not speaking even to themselves except now and then when one apparently the wag of the party made some whispered remark which set them all off laughing but in a minute they chucked themselves and passed the back of their hands across their mouths to compose that unlucky feature and then some would try to fix their eyes on the rafters of the ceiling in a manner which was decorous if rather abstracted from the business in hand 
most of these were young farmers with whom philip had nothing in common and from whom in shy reserve he had withdrawn himself when he first came in but now he wished himself among them sooner than to talk to nancy pratt when he had nothing to say and yet he might have had a companion less to his mind for she was a decent young woman of a sober age less inclined to giggle than many of the younger ones but all the time that he was making commonplace remarks to her he was wondering if he had offended sylvia and why she would not shake hands with him and this preoccupation of his thoughts did not make him an agreeable companion nancy pratt who had been engaged for some years to a mate of a whaling ship perceived something of his state of mind and took no offence at it on the contrary she tried to give him pleasure by admiring sylvia i've often heard tell on her said she but i never thought she's be so pretty and so staid and quiet like too to most part of girls as looks like her are always gape-gazing to catch other folks's eyes and see what is thought on em but she looks just like a child a bit flustered with coming into company getting into as dark cornered and biding as still as she can just then sylvia lifted up her long dark lashes and catching the same glance which she had so often met before charlie kinraid was standing talking to brunton on the opposite side of the fireplace she startled back into the shadow as if she had not expected it and in so doing spilt her tea all over her gown she could almost have cried she felt herself so awkward and as if everything was going wrong with her she thought that every one would think she had never been in company before and did not know how to behave and while she was thus fluttered and crimson she saw through her tearful eyes kinraid on his knees before her wiping her gown with his silk pocket handkerchief and heard him speaking through all the buzz of commiserating voices your cupboard handle is so much at the way i hurt my elbow against it only this very afternoon so perhaps it was no clumsiness of hers as they would all know now since he had so skilfully laid the blame somewhere else and after all it turned out that her accident had been the means of bringing him across to her side which was much more pleasant than having him opposite staring at her for now he began to talk to her and this was very pleasant although she was rather embarrassed at their tete-a-tete at first did not know you again when i first saw you said he in a tone which implied a good deal more than was uttered in his words i knowed you at once she replied softly and then she blushed and played with her apron-string and wondered if she ought to have confessed the clearness of her recollection you've grown up into well perhaps it's not manners to say what you're grown into anyhow i shan't forget you again more playing with her apron-string and head hung still lower down though the corners of her mouth would go up in a shy smile of pleasure philip watched it all as greedily as if it gave him delight your father he'll be well and hearty i hope asked charlie yes replied sylvia and then she wished she could originate some remark he would think her so stupid if she just kept on saying such little short bits of speeches and if he thought her stupid he might perhaps go away again to his former place but he was quite far gone in love of her beauty and pretty modest ways not to care much whether she talked or no so long as she showed herself so pleasingly conscious of his close neighbourhood i must come and see the old gentleman and your mother too he added more slowly for he remembered that his visits last year had not been quite so much welcomed by bell robson as by her husband perhaps it was because of the amount of drink which he and daniel had managed to get through of an evening he resolved this year to be more careful to please the mother of sylvia End of chapter twelve recording by amanda martin sandino bothell washington